You're listening to the weekly Calvary Chapel Divine Digital Devotion with Pastor Michael Petit. But uh, but it's it's the parable of the prodigal son. And the thing is, is I I entitled this uh, two two sons, uh, two hear the alarm, but only one answers it. And and we'll find out why the other one doesn't answer it. But let's look at uh, Luke chapter 15, verses 11. And it says, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, sadly, for this to happen in those days, it shouldn't have happened. That young man could have been taken out and stoned just for saying this. They could have stoned him to death. And so it was very, uh, you know, like, I, I want what's coming to me. And how many of us have been there before Christ where you're like, just give me what's coming to me. I want to get out of this house. I want to be done with these people. I don't want to be in here. Give me what's coming to me. And that's what the prodigal son is doing. And like I said, they, they could be stoned in this time for doing this. Now, the other part of it is, is he had a brother. So the brother actually would get most of the inheritance. He would be getting two-thirds of the inheritance, and the other would get a third. And so usually you would never ask for anything until the father retired or he was getting ready to die. And then the land would be divvied up, and everybody would get their portions. So this was, in these days, out of the ordinary. You know, most of the time we say that in these days it's out of the ordinary, but how many kids tell their parents what they want and how they want it, when they want it, and that's just wrong in itself right there. But I did the same thing. I grew up in a house that you would call religious. Two Catholics, my stepfather and my, step, and my, my mother. I'm going to get rid of everybody, I guess. My stepfather and my mother. And uh, we used to be made to go to church. We were made to go to church while my parents slept and didn't go to church. They partied on Saturday night. That was their party night. They drank and did their thing. And then I had to get up and go to church. And I was like, why do I have to go if you're not going? And I was questioning all this. I was, I was being disobedient, fighting them on this. I didn't want nothing to do with it. Age 16, I was already trying to get out of the house. I was working on one, my way of getting out. So I figured out, hey, I'm in Alabama. I can graduate early. I did. I graduated in, in, in January, finished school when I, was, uh, when I was 17, joined the Army, and started my life. So a lot like the prodigal son, I, I did what I wanted to do my way, my life, and it became a huge mess, a huge mess. And see, the alarm was going off for me but God I just kept hitting that snooze button I just kept hitting the snooze button every time and see this young man has everything his father has wealth he has the best house he has the best food he's going to be taken care of for for probably the rest of his life but he doesn't want that he wants to do things his way under his terms in his will. And so what, look what happens next. The father goes on. And, and this is the part of it that we have to understand. Is that God 
gives us all free will. We all get free will. God's not going to force you to follow him. He ain't going to do it. He knocks at your heart. You have a choice to open or not. And so this father decided, you know what, I'll go ahead and give him the inheritance. And they look in, uh, in verse 13, it says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all, had, all he had and took, it, took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. So the father gives up the money, and uh, the son doesn't hang around. So it's not like he wanted to start his own business, right? It's not like he wanted to hang around and start his own business. I mean, he could have used his father's contacts. He would have he been taken care of because of who his father was. But he didn't want nothing to do with that. He wanted to get out on his own, away from his family, away from his father, and, and just do it. And, and we do this all the time. It's called Vegas, right? Cancun. We do it all the time. What's the motto for Vegas? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But a lot of us are in a far country tonight. We begin to allow sin to take a hold of us in our relationship, and Christ gets placed, and next thing you know, we're in a far country. Maybe your marriage is in the far country tonight. Maybe your obsession with work and making money has taken you to the far country. Maybe your anger and behavior at home has caused distance with your wife and children, and now you're in the far country. See, the sad part about this now is that the son starts to spend the money. He takes off, talks about reckless living, squandering his money. We find out later on that he was spending money on clothing, parties, entourage, friends, and prostitutes. And sadly, most of our society would love to have the same opportunity to live a reckless life of drug and alcohol, buying the finest clothes, the best houses, the, the nicest cars. And sadly, it's just a hole that we can never fill. Pastor Joe has said it before here that sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you, than you want to pay. When I started thinking about this, I was watching, uh, what was it on today? It was on uh, Highly Questionable on ESPN. They had some rapper named Jim Jones. And they asked him, because he, he had been, him and Farrakhan had been arguing. And they asked him, are you afraid of Farrakhan? He goes, no, I'm only afraid of two people, God and my dentist. What about Billy Joel? Did y'all know that Billy Joel is an atheist? Didn't know that. Said he, one of the quotes he had, he said, I'd rather laugh with sinners than cry with saints. The sinners are much more fun. You know, sadly, society in this world wants us to sin. That's what they promote. It's promoted to us. You turn on the television, you turn on the radio, you listen to music. That's what's pushed down our throats daily. They're trying to put you in the far country. Breaking Bad actor Aaron Paul played Jesse Pinkman. He grew up in the church. He actually began acting in the church in Idaho. Sadly, 
there is actually a gospel according to Breaking Bad that was written. The fans actually had a funeral for a fictional character named Walter White in Albuquerque, New Mexico. While doing that, they trampled on graves from, from the funeral. From, from a fake funeral, they trampled on real graves, tore them up. But this is his quote. He said, oh yeah, very, I mean, I have my own views now. I grew up believing that once I died and fly around, fly around in the clouds. Oh yeah, I guess I just believed whatever was placed in front of me. Remember when he came to L.A. from Idaho at 18 years old, and he, and, he, and he says, you know, whatever was placed in front of me, that's what I believe. But I don't believe it anymore. He doesn't believe that, that when you sin, you go to hell. He doesn't believe that God would do that. But this is a young man who grew up in the church, spent time in the Bible, gets to L.A. and loses his mind. Far off country. Forgets everything that he was taught. What about comedian Kathy Griffin? This one's going to really knock you out a little bit. Because this is what, what my point is, is if you're going to support these actors, these, these musicians, you need to find out what you're supporting. Kathy Griffin says she's a militant atheist. Okay? And this, is, this was her quote after winning an Emmy. She says, Now a lot of people come up here and thank Jesus for this award. No one had anything to do with the award. It didn't help me a bit. So all I can say is, suck it. Jesus, this award is my God now. So basically her Emmy award is her God now. That's what she said. And then finally... Uh, most of us know who George Clooney is. He's off in a far country. But we support his movies. We support his TV shows. George Clooney says, I don't believe in heaven or hell. I don't even know if I believe in God. So he's saying, look, could be real, could not be real. And see, we deal with this. These people, the reason why I brought this up is these people have what the prodigal son has. They have the money, have the fame. They can go do what they want to do when they want to do it. And they're living in the far country. And they're living with their sin. And so we look at, 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 chat, at verse 14, and it says, And when he spent everything, a severe, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out uh, to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So now he's, he's been out with the friends, been partying, prostitutes, money, clothing. Everybody's gone. Nobody's there anymore. He's by himself. Nobody cared about him. And he's feeding pigs. And a severe famine hit the, hit the country. We had that hit when the, when the housing market crashed here. And a lot of people were in the far off country. And they were hurting. Because they were living in sin and they weren't prepared for that. See, the thing is, when Jesus shares this part of it, he's sharing that 
A Jewish man would never be caught touching or feeding a pig. The Pharisees would have condemned this man at this point. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 8, it says, And the pig, because of it, because its parts, the hoof does not chew the cud. It is unclean. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. So sadly, he began to eat what they called carob pods. And they would have to eat these during times of famine. But the problem is, is, is pigs can actually eat carapobs. They can actually eat them. They can digest them. But humans, they can't digest them at all. They'll make you, you can sit there and eat them, and they'll make you feel like you're getting filled up. But you're not getting any nutrients. You're not getting any food. And so that's, that's what sin is to us. You can keep trying to feed it, but you're never going to feel that hunger. There's a, uh, a club in Vegas called the Marquee. It's funny, we talk about Sin City. We talk about, you know, uh, allowing... Whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But this is basically sin at its best. The best night is about $500,000 that, that can buy. In Vegas, you've heard about the clubs. You stand in line for them. The marquee is the number one club. It's astonishing 60,000 feet. It allows you to party as hard as you can for just thousands of dollars. If you'd like a bottle service or dance floor tables, $10,000. If you like a, a 30-liter bottle of champagne, $250,000. If you like to meet the Kardashians, $100,000. They'll come party with you. The problem is, is that they, they bring you into this club, and when you come in, all the lights are on. The red carpet's out. They're, they're, it's like you're a celebrity walking in. You come in through an elevator... And the person in the elevator who's getting you upstairs is telling you how much fun you're going to have and how cool this is going to be. Then you, the doors open and the music goes. And they say it's the perfect music if you're on ecstasy because the music never stops so your high never comes down. And these guys that they pulled to, to, to go do a review on this club. They pulled them off to the side, set them off, and they said, okay, whatever drinks you want, we got you. We got you. What kind of women you want over here? Blonde, redheads, brunette. And they bring them over. Same thing with the men. When the women come in, what kind of men do you want? Right? They do the same thing. They actually go out onto the strip during the day to find the most prettiest women and men to come in to party. And they call that stock in the pond. So that way when you come in, there is always pretty people there. Music's going. Drugs are going. Other stuff is going on. But when you exit the club, you exit the club not the way that you came in. Not with the lights, the red carpet. None of that stuff. You exit out just like this back here. Exit. 
and you walk right out onto some metal stairs. There ain't no lights. There ain't no maitre d' telling you. Glad you made it. Out in the dark. And the, the person who wrote the review said, normally what you see is guys carrying guys, firemen carry because they're so drunk. Women with their shoes walking, carrying them because their feet hurt so bad, trying to avoid the puke that's all over the stairs. And then most of the people, one of the questions that was asked, you know, what kind of fun did you have? Most of them don't remember. And then they wake up hungover, and the sin is done. And that's basically what sin does to us. It looks all attractive at the beginning. Let me tell you something. Sin, for most people, is fun at the beginning until it wraps you up and pulls you off to the far country. Pornography. Adultery. I mean, just, you can just go on and on. Alcohol addiction. Work addiction. Some people love working so much they don't want to be home. But then finally the alarm sounds for this young man. The prodigal son says, but when he came to himself. And that's actually the point that we all need to come to. See, sometimes God will give you Scripture to wake you up out of your sin. Sometimes God will give you Pastor Joe on Sunday to wake you up out of your sin. And sometimes God will let you come to yourself after He has pressed down on you. Because let me tell you something, if you belong to Him, He loves you and love is discipline. Love is discipline. Me telling you that you're doing wrong is love because I don't want to see you go down that road. Then he he comes to himself and he says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger? And the word for servant was a day worker. Those guys that get picked up at Home Depot, load them up, let's go to work. And they got paid so well that they were able to feed their families. That's how good his father was. But see, we need to deal with our sin. We need to be brutally honest about where we're at with our walk. We need to keep a short sin list. We need to stop hitting the snooze button. We need to take ownership of our sin. We need to stop projecting our sin on other people, saying it's their fault. It's my wife's fault I've gotten into this point. It's my husband's fault that I'm here. It's my mom and dad's fault that I'm here. It's the environment that I grew up in. Look, we all grew up, most of us grew up in an ungodly home. I did. But it's my sin. When God hit me at age 39, He hit me hard. And He told me enough. And I came to myself. 
And I realized, man, what a, what a fool I was for doing things my way. All these years. All these years. But see, I didn't blame my adultery on my wife. It was me. I didn't blame my pornography looking. It was me. It was my fault. The arguing that I did with my wife, the way that I spoke to her, it was me. It was my fault. But we like to blame. Adam and Eve did it. In Genesis 3, verses 12, it says, The man said, The woman whom you gave me to be with, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate it. The man blames the woman. The woman blames the serpent. Right? You go down further in verse 13. It says, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. Neither person took ownership of their sin. Neither person. And we blame people. We continue to blame people. It's my mom and dad's fault. It's my parents' fault. I'm an alcoholic because my father was an alcoholic. No, you're an alcoholic because you drink. You're an alcoholic because you're the one who picked up the six-pack and you're the one who's putting it off and drinking it the whole night, putting away a case of beer on a weekend by yourself. It's you. It's you. The other part about sin is we have to understand that our sin impacts others. Just like the prodigal son. His father thinks he's dead. His father had to go through the shame of, of probably in that city dealing with what his son did. But see, our sin impacts others. It impacts our spouses. It impacts our children. It impacts this church. Your co-workers. It hits us all. We talked about this in the, in the, in the You and Me Forever with the men and, and women, and we talked about Jonah. And see, Jonah was trying to hide from the Lord. In Jonah chapter 1, it says, uh, in verse 5, we'll carry it down to there, and he's hiding. He said, the mariners, they're going through some worse seas. And when, when the guys in the boat start to get scared, this is what I learned. When the captain of the boat starts to get nervous, it's time to get nervous. It's time to get real nervous. And, and, and they're having bad seas, it says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. The mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But look where Jonah's at. Because Jonah disobeyed God. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and he laid down and was fast asleep. He was asleep. Running from the Lord. The men, in in verse 10, it says, The men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that fleeing from the presence of the Lord because they 
he had told them. So he knew that they were running from the Lord. And he's like, what are y'all doing? You almost killed every man on this ship because of your sin, because of your disobedience to God. You almost cost all these men their lives. Because you didn't want to go to Nineveh. Because you wanted to do what you wanted to do. And James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person has a great power as it is working. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. We cannot neglect. Our battle is with flesh and blood. And we cannot neglect the Bible. It's our guide. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing into the division of the soul and of the spirit, of the joints and of the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and tensions of the hearts. So see, we have to understand what sin is. A lot of us, we deal with sin and, and we get condemnation. We don't get conviction. Right? We get condemnation. Condemnation is showing you that the problem, what, it's showing you the problem but avoiding, avoiding the solution. So it's showing you what the problem is but you're avoiding what the solution is. The solution is going to Christ and asking for forgiveness. That's what conviction does. And see, we know that that's what happens. You know, as we look at Judas, Judas had what? Condemnation. He got upset. He threw down the pieces of silver into the temple. He departed and he went and hung himself in Matthew 27.5. But see, when you have godly sorrow, it's not the kind of sorrow that, oh, I got caught. Godly sorrow is understanding that you hurt God. You did wrong to God. To God. That's what you need to deal with first, is that I have committed a sin, and I need to repent and ask for forgiveness. You know, we can't say, well, I'm sorry I got caught looking at porn. And then you go back and start looking at it next week. I'm sorry I got caught flirting. You go right back to it. I'm sorry I got caught cheating my hours at work. But you still do it. You have to repent. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Sin is death. Now, as we go further into the story, you know, we find out that dealing with sin is immediate, and that's what we need to do. When we were talking about Jonah, you know, talking about the Ninevites, when he finally does go and do what he's supposed to do, he shares the shortest sermon ever. Yet, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's what God told him to say. And he called out and said, yet 40 days... And Nineveh shall be overthrown. And this was a city of about 120,000 people. And these were people that didn't care. They, they loved committing genocide. They loved killing people. They loved it. But the Lord's saying, look, if you don't stop doing what you're doing in 40 days, I'm going to overthrow the whole thing. I'm going to destroy y'all. The key to this is, it's such a great verse because it says, And the people in Nineveh, what? Believed God. 
believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So imagine that as the United States. So that's President Obama all the way down to the least citizen. Saying, you know what? We believe God. We're going to put on sackcloth. But they go further than that. They go further than that. They actually go in and, and, and the, the king says, you know what? The king of Nineveh said, he goes in, 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 in verse 6 through 9 in Jonah chapter 3. It says, and arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth. So the king is doing this. And then he issues a decree. And he's like, let neither man nor beast nor herd taste anything. So he's telling them, look, we're going to fast. Let them not feed or drink water, but let them, let the man and the beast be covered with sackcloth. So they not only had to do every, every man, but they had to cover up all the beast. But look what happens. God turns in, in verse 9. He says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil. God relented of the disaster that he said and he would, not, he would do, the, do to them, and he did not do it. So we need to handle sin the way that the prodigal son is handling sin. As we look at verse 20, it says, and he arose. So he gets up. That's, that's step two. After you confess your sin, you repent, and you forgive, get up. Get moving again. Get back to church. Get back to Wednesday study. Get back to Sunday study. If there's something going on, I heard Mike say this to somebody. If these doors are open, you need to be here. Because you need to get your relationship back with the Lord. So he arose and he came to his father. So he's practicing what he's going to say. You can imagine his heart. He's probably thinking, man, I don't know how my dad's going to receive this. I, I, I just want to, man, if he'll just let me be a worker. I'll be happy. I'll just work and, and I'll try to pay my debt off. And so what we find out is he says, but when, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. See, these days, a man of wealth would not have been caught running. They wouldn't have been running. They had servants to do that, Right? But his father saw him. His father thought he was dead. Sees he's alive. His father takes off running to him. His father's also probably trying to protect him, to shield him from the shame of the city because they knew what happened. Also probably trying to protect him because their son could have been stoned to death. So the father's hugging him, kissing him, happy to see him. But see, most of us, we think that God is the God that is here to just judge. And, and we think that God is here to say, you know what, you're too beyond your sin. I can't help you. You think that you're going to walk through those doors and that this building is just going to collapse. And God's saying, no, I, 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 that's not me. I'm running after you. I'm running after you. And God is trying to restore that relationship immediately like that. He's embracing him, kissing him. And see, God wants to do the same thing with us. It's, it, it's his work. It's his kingdom. He wants to see you grow. He doesn't want to see you stay in the pit. 
of sin. In Psalm 40, chapter 40, verse 2, it says, He drew, drew me up from the pit of, of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon the rock, making my steps secure. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, He forgives quickly. And He starts to, to give the speech there in verse 21. And He said, And, he said, and the Son said to the Father, I have... I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put on, his, put on a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring a fat and calf and, and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son, son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they begin to celebrate. So before his son could even really finish the speech, the father's saying, look, you're forgiven. Get my best robe. The ring would have been like a family crest. He's mine. He belongs to me. The shoes to represent he's part of my family. Because in those days, only slaves and servants didn't have shoes. And so he's quick to forgive. And Christ is, he doesn't ask us. The other part of this is, this kid came out of a, a, a pig pen eating pods. And God didn't say, or the father didn't say, you smell, go take a shower. I'll deal with you later. Right? No, the father grabbed him and hugged him. And said, I forgive you. I forgive you. And that's the beauty of this faith is that God forgives us. And see, we forget that. We think we get in that far off country and we think that God will never forgive me of these sins that I'm in right now. But He will. He will. And not only that, He says, look, you're my sons, my daughters. You're my ambassadors. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 18, it says, And I will be father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God. Making this appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, if you're a believer, sin breaks you of that relationship. Your relationship breaks off from Christ. And you need to get right with the Lord. You need to rededicate your life to the Lord. You need to ask the Lord to help you to, to, to get you going again so that you're clinging to Christ and not to this world. See, Paul, the Apostle Paul says it beautifully in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. He says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do it, the very thing I hate. He's talking about sin. In Romans 7, chapter 7, verse 24, it says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver, uh, deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with the flesh I serve the law of sin. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 19, it says, Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. 
and results, their faith has been shipwrecked. See, the father's throwing a celebration for the prodigal son. But at the very beginning of this, I told you that there was two sons that heard the alarm. Only one of them answered it. That's the prodigal son. The other one would have been like the Pharisees. And it goes on in verse 25. It says, Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said, Your brother has come. Your father has killed a fattened calf. So the barbecue started. Right? The party's going on. Because he has received him back safe and sound. But the brother here, he says, he was angry and he didn't want to go in. He refused to go in. His father came out and, and, uh, and entreated him. But he answered his father. He said, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. At this moment, he's disobeying his father's command because he's not honoring his father or his mother, right? So at this moment, he's disobeying. And I'm sure over his lifetime as a child, as a teenager, and as a young man, he has disobeyed his father's command at some point. But he's, he's good to go. He's saying, look, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when your son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this is your brother was dead and is, and is alive. He was lost and, and is found. And see, unfortunately, the older brother is dealing with a little bit of anger, probably a little bit of jealousy, a little bit of pride, maybe some greed, but he ain't going into the party. He's been invited to go into the party, but he's too religious to go into the party. And see, this is the problem that we have with our church today. Is we have a lot of religious people that come here on Sunday, and when they leave these doors, they are not reflecting Christ in their homes, in their marriages, at work, it doesn't happen. But they're very religious. They can quote scripture to you. They can tell you what you're doing wrong. But don't tell me what I'm doing wrong. Right? Sadly, that's where we're at. And unfortunately, it kills the body of Christ. Because... You are supposed to be a reflection. You're an ambassador. You're a reflection of Christ. And if you're cursing, you're getting angry, you're yelling at your wife, you're yelling at your husband, what are you, what are you showing? What are you showing your kids? Why do you think so many kids are falling away from the Lord? Because you're not reflecting Christ in the home. You're acting a fool when you get up out of here. Drinking, doing whatever you want. But I'm at church Sunday. Dressed, got my stuff, I'm good to go, I'm serving. I'm, I, I got it all taken care of. Just like the other son, the older one. Sadly, the older one is not going to make it to heaven. 
It says in James chapter 4, verse 1 through 4, it says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have it because you don't ask God. You go do what you want to do. I'm going to act, act the way I want to act. I'm not going into the party. The party's eternal life. It's heaven. That's what the party represents. Heaven. And yet this religious man, just like the Pharisees, is saying, I'm not going in. You know, we know that he, Exodus 20:12, honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. At age 16, I told you at the very beginning of this that I wanted to get out of my mom and dad's house. The sad part is, is my mom and dad never asked me to do anything against God's word. Ever. And yet, I wanted things my way. I wanted to do things the way I wanted to do them. I thought my mom and dad didn't know anything. And I think most of us at 16, 15, 16, 17 years old, we think we got it all figured out already. And we realize we don't. We realize we don't. Matthew chapter 7 says in uh, verse 20, 22 says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did, it, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then Matthew 7, uh, 13 and 14 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy and the, the, the leads to destructions and those who enter it enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And I know that other verse, I probably forgot to put the rest of it in there, but it says that, uh, you know, go away from me. I don't know you. Right? I don't know you. You serve with me? I don't remember. Everything you did was for you. See, God does business with those who mean business. Pastor Joe always says that. God does business with those who mean business. Moses, how many of y'all know that Moses almost got killed? Right? Moses almost got killed. In Exodus chapter 4, verses 24 and 26, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Put him to death. This is Moses. Why? Because he did not do what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to circumcise his sons. But his wife did not want that to happen. So Moses thought, you know what, I just won't do it. It's okay, I'm a leader. It's okay, I don't have to do everything. Me and God are tight. I saw the burning bush. We're good to go. I don't have anything to worry about. He's not going <laughs> to do anything to me. He's fixing to get killed. But the wife circumcises the kids there. It goes on and says, Her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom to, of blood to me, so let him alone. It was then that she said a bridegroom of blood because of, because of the circumcision. So in a lot of ways, Moses is acting like the older brother. He's acting religious. Like I'm doing everything God's told me to do. No, you're not. You didn't get the kids circumcised. Because why? Because you were arguing with your wife. You didn't want to fight over it. 
But you knew it was what God told you to do. Be obedient to God. Be obedient to God. That's the thing that we have to understand is God, we're not irreplaceable. We're not. God will bring somebody else up that will be obedient if you won't. I read in the paper today there's a pastor in Michigan who is in the USA Today. A pastor in Michigan who's been blasting gay marriage. Just rhetoric. Ugly. And we know that that's wrong. We know in God's word, gay marriage is not not something that God, you know, likes. It's a sin. But he doesn't do it. He doesn't respond in love. Like he's not, that pastor's not telling them in love. He's being ugly about it. He's, he's, he's telling them that they're sinning, but he's just doing it in an ugly way. And he's not going to win anybody over. Turns out the pastor got caught on a gay website with his pictures on there. Trying to hook up with some guy. What does that do to the body of Christ? See, that's a pastor. We think we're religious. You need to deal with your sin tonight. Tonight. Don't let it go on anymore. See, Pastor Joe, the alarm goes off every Sunday and Wednesday night here, every time he teaches the Word of God. When Mike teaches the Word of God on Sunday the alarm will go off again. Every time somebody gets up here to preach, because look, we're preaching the Word of God, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We're telling you, look, you're going to suffer. We're telling you, look, it's going to be hard. We're telling you, but God is with you. We're telling you, you have salvation. We're telling you that it's going to be, God is there hugging you, embracing you, kissing you. But you've got to deal with your sin. Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 4 and 5 tells you. It says, Then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning, and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. See, Pastor Joe can get up here and tell y'all every time he comes up on the pulpit, you need to, do you want to come to the party? Do you want to come to the celebration? Do you want to have eternal life? Then you've got to deal with your sin. And it's up to you whether or not you want to do that. Maybe that you know the Lord and you've fallen away from the Lord and you're saying, man, I've got to get right with the Lord. Do it. Deal with it. Get help. Get accountability, just like Pastor Brandon said. Be accountable. If you're struggling with something, ask somebody to be an accountability partner. Ask them. Man, I need help. I'm struggling. I can't stop looking at pornography. Well, guess what? We'll get you covered in eyes. We'll get you some help. We'll try to, we go to take that ungodly thing you're doing. We're going to give you something godly to do. That's what you have to do with sin. You take away the ungodly thing you were doing and you place it with something godly. Or else you're going to do it again. We asked some questions to, uh, to the, the married couples and the you and me forever. And I'll just run through these real quick because we're finishing up. And you, this is between you and the Lord. 
okay? Now, I asked the married couples to either take their phones out and put it on the front-facing camera so you can answer the question, either in the mirror at home when you get home or either with your phone so you can see it because I want you to have that same experience that the prodigal son had when he came to himself. Because we all have sin. But I need you to start doing this. I need you to start clinging to Christ and realizing that you have no power over sin except through the Holy Spirit. That's the only way you're going to get through this. So the first question, do you spend more time this week on Facebook, Instagram, or social networks playing games, or do you spend it in prayer? When was the last time you told somebody I love you? Fathers, that one's for you. When was the last time you hugged your kids? When was the last time you prayed with your spouse? Prayed with your kids? What's on your DVR at home? What's on your computer? What have, you been, what have you been looking at this week? If I was to grab your phone, what have you been looking at this week? Because I can tell you right now, I'll give you my phone. Ain't nothing on there. I'm not telling you that because, look, I do that because I want my wife to know I have no power over pornography. Only God does. Okay? But man, if she, if she asks for my phone, she asks for my Facebook, she asks for my anything, she can look at it. I ain't got nothing to hide. I don't want to hide anything. Can you name one missionary that you prayed for this week? We have a couple. The Velardis, the Cavachinkos, the Bentleys. The Delgados and the Shepherds. Pray for them this week. What room in the house can Jesus not go in? Is there a room in your house that if Jesus knocked on your door, you, hold on, Lord, I got to fix this. Right? When was the last time you sat and read your Bible? I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty. I'm saying this because, look, God's saying, look, I, I'm here just like the prodigal son. I'm running to you. I'm running. Who besides God knows about your secret sin? Who besides God knows about your secret sin? Deal with it tonight. When was the last time you cried over sin? See, David sinned, King David. He knew what he was doing. He walked out in the afternoon knowing what he was going to see. And you go, how do you know that? Well, when they poured the bass in the morning, they did that because the water would be hot in the afternoon. So who was taking bass in the afternoon? People. Where does he go in the afternoon? Late in the afternoon. Out to the porch. Let me see what's going on. He already knew what was going on. People taking baths. David had so many times to stop his sin. 
God had given him mercy after mercy after mercy, grace after grace after grace to deal with the sin. It went on for a year, a whole year, before he dealt with it, when the prophet Nathan came to him and talked to him. And then he came to himself, just like the prodigal son. But people died, a baby was born, Sin was abound. And David was acting just like the other older brother, religious, like everything's okay. Psalm 51. If you all write that down, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll read part of it. But if you want to read that, that's, that's David's heart being poured out to God about what the sin was. I'm just going to read a couple verses and then we'll, we'll call it a night. We'll, call, we'll pray and then... Uh, Psalm 51, a year of sin, people died, and yet he was still king, he was still in power, still acting like he was religious, but he was sinning, he tried to hide his sin. It says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and I know my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, your delight in your truth and your inward being, and you teach me wisdom in your secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. And blot out my iniquities. All out all my iniquities. Create in my heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Renew a right spirit within me. That's what we all need. That's what we all need. And and if you're in sin, Pastor Mike and Pastor Brandon's here. I would Pray about it tonight, and let's deal with it. Let's ask God to forgive you. Let's repent. Let's move on. Because just like he ran to the prodigal son, he'll be running to you with open arms, kissing you on the neck, telling you, I'm here. I'll help you. Thank you so much for joining the Calvary Chapel Weekly Devotion. I hope that you have a wonderful week. And we pray if you'd like to listen to more of the devotions or uh, any of the sermons, you can do all of that at our website at calvarydivine.org. You can also get in contact with me, uh, submit a prayer request, and uh, find out about other events that are happening in our uh, church and in our area uh, that we're participating in. So calvarydivine.org. God bless.